Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is our Out of the Park podcast series, special edition, Pathways, Faith, Living Out the Word. If you enjoy our programming and would like to see more of it, consider a donation at www.framparkcenter.org. Welcome, Dr. Mike Hegeman. Thank you. This is our foundational course focusing on the four pillars of Bible, faith, dialogue, and world. In this course, we are explaining how the Word of God inspires faith, what faith is, and how we live out the faith that God creates in us. This is our sixth session together talking about faith, and this week it is all about repentance, believe it or not. Actually, it's a close connection between repentance and believing, and that's what we're going to uh, be bringing together today as we talk about faith. You know, the very first sermon that we have recorded from Jesus is short and to the point. He says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Before we go too far, let's practice. Every time we hear the words, faith, trust, and belief, or uh, the verbs have faith, trust, or believe, we can substitute each one for the other. So what does Jesus call us to do? Repent and have faith in the good news. Repent and trust in the good news. You're doing pretty well. You remember that each of these has a slightly different tone, and we need all three so that we approach this thing we call faith, trust, belief, with the head, the heart, and the gut, and the spirit. Now, before we get into repentance and its connection to faith, trust, belief, let's explore what the good news is. It sounds pretty important. Believe, fill in the blank, this time it's the good news that we're supposed to believe. It sounds like another way of expressing the content of faith, the what of faith. In our previous discussion, we talked about uh, Jesus being the content of faith. When we say now faith is the substance of things hoped for, we explored how Jesus is that very substance. Because we heard also that Jesus is the radiance of God and the very substance of God. Same word. Faith is closely linked to Jesus, and Jesus calls us to faith, to himself, and to God who shares that substance with Jesus. So, what is this good news that Jesus himself proclaims? Is the good news a message with content to be grasped? Is the good news a message about Jesus himself, or is the Good news, a force of God, a power that draws people into faith and into faithful relation with the God who is faithful. To get a clue for understanding the good news, let's go back to Isaiah. We hear of the good news in the 52nd chapter of Isaiah's Collected Works. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the one who announces peace, who brings good news who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Believe it or not, this passage from Isaiah 52 is a close match, a near parallel to Jesus' first sermon. And here's why. 
The good news that Isaiah says the messenger brings is related to peace and to salvation. In Hebrew, those words are shalom and Yeshua. Shalom is that creative and restorative peace that God enacts at the beginning of all things. It is the wholeness that God intended and called good. Yeshua is the salvation, deliverance, liberation, freedom, wholeness, restoration that God enacts to restore shalom. Yeshua is also the basis of Jesus' name, but that's another story. These Hebrew words of Isaiah's got translated into Greek some 300 years before Jesus' birth, and shalom became Irene. Now, if you looked at the word, you'd see Irene, and that was my grandmother's name. It means peace. And Yeshua became soteria. We don't have an English word from that. And these words really might not sound familiar to you, but there is another word which should. And that is what Isaiah calls the announcing of good news. Now, hold on. In Greek, this word is the verb euangelizomai. Now, if you were looking at it, maybe, just maybe, you would, you would recognize it. It doesn't sound familiar, but it's actually the root of the word evangelize. And simply put, it's what Jesus is doing in his first sermon. He's evangelizing about the evangel preaching good news about good news, announcing peace, salvation, and the kingdom of God. And just like Isaiah says, O Zion, your God is king, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has drawn near. Early in chapter 52 of Isaiah, we hear, Wake up, shake off the dust off of your feet, loose your bonds, put on new garments. Isaiah is saying, a new day is dawning. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. And all of this leans toward that good news we're hearing about. And what is that good news? The good news is that God's salvation is on the loose in the world, come in the person of Jesus to restore shalom, to restore peace and the wholeness for all humanity and for the very cosmos itself. Believe this. Have trust that this is what God is up to, and have faith that God is faithful to enact soteria, salvation, deliverance, liberation. We just need to repent to gain access to God's salvation. So, what does it mean to repent? In his letter to the Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Believe it or not, this passage gives us a major clue to what it means to repent. When we first hear in Jesus' first sermon, repent and have faith in the good news, 
we gain the sense that repentance is an important step toward faith and toward the content of faith, which is salvation, Yeshua, Jesus. And when we hear that word repent, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Here's a standard definition. Repentance, to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. Feel bad, feel regret. And we might add, say you're sorry. But I think there is an added dimension of don't ever do that thing you feel bad about again. From the Middle Ages, we hear stories of Christians who got so worked up about their sinfulness that they wandered the streets in gangs, whipping themselves until bloody, saying, mea culpa, mea culpa, my fault, all my fault. I don't really think that this is what Jesus was looking for when he called us to repentance. Let's take a look at that word used in the Gospel of Mark for repentance. In Greek, it says, do metanoia. This word means change your mind, change your thinking, and after you do so, act differently. Turn your life around so that you're operating from a whole new frame of reference. This makes sense. When Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has drawn near, repent, he's saying, it's a different time one in which God's in charge. A different time requires a different mode of being in the world. Leave off the old way of thinking and acting. Turn around. Turn toward the salvation that God is enacting to restore peace. Head in the opposite direction because the way you're headed can only lead to ruin, desperation, alienation, separation, destruction, injustice, and ultimately into the realm of unfaith. Now, the word love isn't used in this initial sermon of Jesus, but it's in there. We heard before that the Apostle Paul distills his preaching down to the only thing that matters is faith energized by love. Faith and love are inseparable. Jesus calls us to faith and thereby to love. Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you. Repentance is the avenue to faith from the human side. Like the prodigal who turns toward the Father's home, we turn toward God in our repentance. And as the Father came running to meet the prodigal, so too does God come running toward us. God meets us on the path and enables us to make it home to faith. The turning to God is the beginning of faith. God meeting us on the path is the encounter of faith. God welcoming us home is the fulfillment of faith. Faith embraces us and empowers us while we live in the realm of unfaith in order that we might come to life as if we were in the realm of God, the kingdom of God's love. The repentance that we would seek to enact in this life is parallel to what Paul wrote to those Roman Christians 
I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind and the heart, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The end of faith is this, love God and love your neighbor. And in doing this, we are transformed into the image of Christ, who is the image of God. This is the end of faith, and this is the end of the sermon. We are keeping the conversation going around faith, this time of faith and repentance. And we are here with Mr. Bernard England, and he is joining us from Mercury Studios and uh, helping us to keep this conversation going and getting a different perspective on things. So, Bernard, when how does that? How do you react to the word repentance? If somebody walked up to you, you know, or in the street even, is saying "repent, sinner," what would you? How does that? How does that phrase hit you? No, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's it's uh, in biblical, well, not biblical terms, but in in the world of, of reverence, feels like it's. It's the most in-your-face term we have to throw at one another. Um, so if someone walked upon me in the street, I feel like personally, oh, this is that's not nice, but it's not exactly a bad term. It's just one that you have to question. What does it mean to me specifically? Yeah, I think you know if I ever heard it, it first thing I probably think the person is crazy. Right, right. And if this is their only catchphrase, they have repent uh, uh, for the end is near or something like that. Uh, that. I, I think I'd be dismissive. You know, right. I think right away I, I would either walk away thinking, probably, I'd probably be a little embarrassed that this person in some way represents the same faith, you know, body of faith or whatever that I, with which I'm associated. You know, I'm, I say, I'm a Christian and I have faith. But somebody like that, who's this one, this is the sole message, uh, I'm, I, I would think I'm, these days, you know, 2000 after Jesus first preach this message, right? I'm, I would be a little turned off by it and almost a little embarrassed. I just have to say that, you know, that, that, and I have to maybe think about why, why would I, am I so embarrassed by that? But maybe it's because the word comes to me as judgmental. You know, right. I mean, that's, same. Yeah. same. Mm-hmm. I feel like you just think, well, what do you know about me necessarily that I need to clean up or it makes you reflect almost as soon as you hear the word repent, it's like, well, that's a, a personal reflection word that I don't want to think about anything, any wrongdoing I've done. Yeah. I, I just imagine too, that he says, I, I walk, I get away from that person as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I think is so interesting then that this is Jesus first sermon we have recorded in, in a gospel, he, you know, that he, he's proclaiming this message and I, I don't know how it would have hit those early audiences, you know, the sense of, you know, the kingdom of God is drawn near. You know, this is the time is fulfilled. Uh, the kingdom is that God is, God is on the loose. Uh, repent. And uh, maybe I think probably some of those folks would have turned away from him. But I, I also think that something about Jesus is, would have been so compelling. Right. That I think, what, what do you think, you know, if you, if you were to encounter the Jesus that you've met through scripture and through faith, what would, what's compelling about him that you would that would make you stop and pay attention to this message about repentance? The, the calming nature of, of Jesus, I think, for me. But 
to your point about it being the first one, if if I were sitting in, in, in an audience and this would be the first sermon you hear from Jesus, that would be very, I don't know if it'd be uplifting or terrifying, but it would definitely capture my attention, right? Like if the first words to come out were, I notice you or I notice this and I'm looking at all of the wrongdoing you're doing and all of the good doing you've done and I'm telling you to just accept what you've done or I'm accepting what you've done wrong and I want you to repent. That's a very stark, you know, beginning to start with. But I would imagine that his presence would be so calm, right, that you'd almost feel as though, well, he's, I, I, I feel accepted in my wrongdoing. And I think that's where a lot of us would probably turn and say, OK, well, he sees all, you know, he knows all. And with that, he's still accepting. So why not repent? Why not give, you know, your life and, and everything to this this notion this of of, of God and this notion of of belief and, and having faith in that belief? Yeah, I think I'm more attracted to the, the Jesus that say, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Right. right. Or let the little children come to me or um one that looks at you and says, what would you have me do for you? You know, and and so this Jesus that comes at us with this repentance language, you know, I, I think I'm I'm a little more comfortable hearing words like, well, how Paul puts it. The Apostle Paul says, be transformed, mm-hmm. you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and uh, your spirit and heart are kind of equally good words there to put in that translation. Be transformed, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your heart, of your mind, of your spirit. And so uh, using those words, I can go back and approach and say, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, turn around. Uh, You're heading in the wrong direction. And that the very next word is believe, have faith and have trust, that there must be something you know, there's something in my life. I mean, when I when I approach it that way, there's something in my life that said that I could recognize that I'm in the need of this repentance thing. I, I I need to turn around because if I don't, there's I've blocked the access to faith. Right. Yeah. It's like because he says repent and have faith. It's like you've got to do one before you can really you know enter into this pathway of faith. Right. Yeah. Part one and then part two, right? <laughs> telling us, well, hey, I see it. You're going down a, a certain path that you shouldn't go down. Go down this path. And once you go down that path, I will lead you into righteousness thereafter, right? That that timeline is so important, and he's correcting the timeline for us before we think we can jump past part A or part, past part A to part B. He's saying, oh, no, no, you need to come back this way. We need to start here, and then you can move on to belief and faith. Right. And so this whole series that we've gone through, it's certainly not exhaustive of the topic of faith, the reality of faith, what faith is and how we do it. But, um, you know, I, I chose for us to come to the come to this end of this series and talk about something quite serious as repentance, because uh, maybe we should have begun with that, you mm-hmm. know, be the sense of way back at the beginning saying repentance is an act that we have to move through before we can even take those first steps in faith. But even as I say that, I think that the kind of repentance Jesus calls us to is ongoing. It's not a sense of there's one act of repentance, but maybe even daily, you know, the sense of 
where is your mind? Where is your heart? Where is your spirit focused? And, and then and saying and say, pay attention to where your attention is, right? You know, where's your focus? Because it may not be in the direction that faith leads us. Mm -hmm. And so repentance can come, you know, at the beginning of faith and I think every step along the way. And one of the things I mentioned here was also the end of faith. You know, we're talking about the beginning of faith. Uh, that's, you know, repentance, uh, turning around, turning our focus toward the good that God is doing in our lives. But what what would you yourself, you know, think about in looking at the word end of faith in a couple of ways? One is the goal of faith. What do you what do, what do you think is the goal of faith? For me, it, it, peace. I think you know, like we spoke about in a in a previous session, the goal of faith for me is you know the act of doing faith we spoke about and how faith is an actionable item. You have to do work in order to get to get to a certain point in anything, right? So. Faith is no different, and the work of doing faith, faith, the act of doing faith, to me, the end goal would be having peace thereafter, right? Getting to a point where you know no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Getting to a point where you know there's nothing that I can't accomplish as long as I walk down that path of righteousness. Um, so that, for me, is, is, is a very calming reality. Every day you wake up and you have all types of anxieties and you have all types of things that nag at you and, and you have fear of. And again, you have to work at having faith. You have to work every day and, and look at the, you know what's on your to-do list. Look what's in the mirror looking back at you and say, well, this is what I have to work with. I need to work at having faith in that person that's staring back at me. And the goal at the end would be this overwhelming, calming presence of peace that I'm accepting of what's looking back at me. I'm accepting of where I'm going, even if I don't know where I'm going. I'm accepting of where I've been. I'm accepting of, of where I am now and just putting all three together, the past, the present, and the future, and just being present, right? Like that that sense of presence, nobility of, of wow, I'm, I'm here and I'm okay with where I am. And I know that I'm guided down a path that's gonna take me to even more peace. So, you know, peace is really, a big thing in terms of my end goal, in terms of my end goal of faith. If I said, well, what's the end on the other side of the horizon? Uh, you talk about space and science. If, if faith is the black hole, what's on the other end, on the other side of that black hole? Well, I'd like it to be peace. That that's that's personal, I know, but for me, that's really where you know I'd like to just be calm and have faith that faith will guide me there. I think that's beautifully put, and you know, you make me th you think about the sense of you know, this peace is a, a sense of trusting. That's all those words that we use. Trusting of the words that we use for faith, belief, trust is that word that hints towards the relational part of faith in God, trusting in God, is that that relationship is what is the ground of that peace, you know, and uh, that allows me, for me, to renew that any time I can feel I'm being pulled off the, pulled off the center that is peace, uh, that I'm thinking, well, okay, how am I, what is my relationship like with, with God at this point? Now, real quickly, though, so what if somebody came back to you and said, oh, okay, you're the, your goal of faith is peace. How is that peace you're talking about different from just putting your head in the sand and ignoring the world around you? Me personally, that that's more uh, anxiety-inducing is putting your head in the ground and ignoring because, you know, 
you can think that you're ignoring a lot of things, but the reality of most situations is you ignoring is also an action, right? Ignoring something is also doing nothing, like, but they're still, they're still doing, they're still the action of, of nothing. So, you know, putting your head to the ground and ignoring all the things around you is not the same to me as actively working towards accepting all of those things around you and, and knowing that you're okay with them. You may not agree with all the things that are coming at you, all the arrows that are pointed at you. You may not agree with all of the uh, trials and tribulations that come out in the day, but accepting them as they are and being, I hate to say the word again, but being at peace with them, you know, that that's much different to me than just, well, if you just close your eyes and act like it's not happening, then isn't that the same as peace? Well, no, not necessarily. That's prolonging, you know, that peace. That's at some point you're going to have to face the prolonging of, of peace actually showing up. Right, you know, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's what well, I always want to think about that is that there are people who look at faith and especially faith that has content. Mm -hmm. you know, we as Christians say we have faith in God through Jesus Christ and saying they look at that and saying, you know, that they they're, they don't understand that. Many people don't understand and I I can I say, but I barely understand it myself. You know, it's this incomprehensible mystery that faith is. But that's not a cop out either. It's a it's a sense of I like you say faith is uh, the goal of my faith is an uttermost trust in God, and that trust produces the kind of peace that you're you know we've been talking about the sense of and the the peace that points towards wholeness, restoration. God do there's so much that God does creatively and actively in the kind of peace that God enacts. Shalom is this amazing, you know, Hebrew word, you know. And so in that too, I you know, I hadn't even asked myself that question what the end or goal of faith. But I think that's what it is. There's a sense of the end or goal of faith is trusting so much in that there is a God, that this God loves me, and that God loves me in such a way as that I know I'm connected to every other person on the planet right. and to God's whole creation. And so the kind of peace is saying, it's an, for me, an active peace that says, I'm out of this trusting relationship. I'm able, you're able to live in, the, in this world, and as hard, as difficult it is, and say that there is a bigger picture. You know? And that's the sense for me is like the end of faith is trusting that there's, a, again, going back to it, there is a God who loves and a God who cares and a God who sustains me in the difficulty uh, that life is and brings. So Beautifully said. Well, I appreciate your time as we have wandered our way through talking about faith from different angles, different lenses, and different uh, exploring different, different things. So uh, here we, we come to this, come to the end of this current series on faith, and we could probably have another hundred episodes and never fully ex exhaust you know, what it means to, to live in faith and what faith is. But uh, I hope, certainly hope we have gained something along the way as we looked at faith, trust, and belief, and uh, how God is enacting this greater thing called salvation through the love of Jesus Christ. So, thank you, Bernard. Anytime. And we will, we will sign off for now. Thank you for joining the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life. Our mission is to serve the church and community through innovative, inclusive, and transformative education. 
Check out our website at www.framparkcenter.org for more information about upcoming events, programs, pilgrimages, and opportunities to get involved. If you enjoyed this program and would like to see more like it, please consider a donation. You can find more information of ways to support the Park Center on our website.